Atmosphere Church podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Before we start our talk today, I want you to do an exercise with me. I want us to Inhale and exhale together. Ready? Just let it all out. And I want you to say with me, God is greater. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. God is greater. It's so important for us to speak that out because sometimes the trouble that we're going through, the trouble that we see around us can almost feel overwhelming and like you're drowning in it. And so it's important to remind your soul that no matter what is happening in you, no matter what is happening around you, that God is greater. Last week, we did a special talk about Pentecost because it was Pentecost Sunday. And we prayed specifically that we would be able to gather again on Pentecost Sunday so that we can have Pentecost on Pentecost. That was our prayer. We experienced Passover on Passover. We wanted to experience Pentecost on Pentecost. And part of Pentecost is experiencing that wind and fire of God's presence. And so we prayed for fresh wind and fresh fire to fall. And with that revival and renewal, and I'm telling you, we experienced it and we're still experiencing it. Regardless of all of the things that we see in current events and on the news, I'm telling you, God is up to great things. And what the devil meant for evil, God is turning around for good. I just have to tell you that and remind you about that because sometimes it can get overwhelming. So we took a break from stepping into our new series last week because it was Pentecost Sunday. But I told you that there was a message brewing in me for the last three months that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm entitling this series, Us Versus Them. And it's important for you to kind of understand the backdrop of why this has been such a near and dear subject to my heart. And one of the chief reasons is because I've seen such division, not just in the world, but I've seen it creep its way into the church. And I will tell you that probably the last two weeks, I have probably read more than I've read in the last two years. I have watched more documentary videos and movies on these subjects than I have in a long time. And it's all because I wanted to be fully informed and prepped to be able to do this message series. Because after the events that have taken place over the last two weeks, I know that this talk and this series needs to be spoken more now than ever before. And so before I dive into this whole new series, I want to just briefly talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the subject of racism. 
And I, I know that there are churches across the nation that may be stepping away from this conversation. They may not want to have this conversation. But I want to tell you as your pastor that it is super important for us to recognize that racism is real. Now, you may have not experienced it. You may not have friends that have experienced it. But I have several friends in my life, both black and brown, that have experienced real racism issues in their life. Personal story after personal story. So I know that equality and justice is not perfect in our nation. And there needs to be reform. There, there needs to be some correction on multiple levels that this is a systemic issue that has been there the whole time. I like how Will Smith said it. He says, racism is an issue that's always been with us, but it's now being filmed. And so for some of the people, as the young people would say these days, are being woke in this current season that we're living in, it's important to realize that it's been with us the whole time. So we need to talk about it as a church. We need to recognize it as a church so that we can help move the needle to change the way things are. And I feel like we really need to talk about it because it goes right in hand with our whole series, Us Versus Them. So as I look at the Bible, I know that Jesus, our leader, our king, our Lord, he confronted racism even in his time. There's a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus initiates a conversation with the Samaritan woman one day as he is at the well getting some water, getting some refreshment. He initiates this conversation. Now, a little backdrop, in first century Palestine, Jews did not interact with Samaritans. Jews looked at the Samaritans as the inferior race. They even went as far as to call Samaritans dogs. They despised them. And when people would go from northern Israel into southern Israel or to the Palestine area, they would purposely walk around this area called Samaria because they did not want to do any interaction with the Samaritan race. So here Jesus not only cuts through Samaria, he actually goes and has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Two big no-nos for his time and his era with his culture. And Jesus did this, and, and he practiced this so often that his early disciples, his original crew that he ran with, they followed his model. And we read about this in Acts chapter 8, where Philip has an encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch that is seeking God and, and has questions about God. And he presses in and, and tells this uh, Ethiopian eunuch about the kingdom of heaven. He tells him about Jesus. The guy wants to be baptized. Philip baptizes him. Such a beautiful story. And then even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, confronted uh, racism directly. And he addresses it between the Jews and the non-Jews, or as they are often and commonly referred to in the Bible as Gentiles or non-believers. And so the Jews had this perspective of being the chosen people that there was kind of this elitist 
uh, vibe that they carried with them, that if you weren't Jewish, that you were less than human. And so they treated people accordingly. So Paul tackles this head on. And one of the uh, things that he does is he speaks into the space over and over and over again. And here's one scripture that I think is really worth noting. It's found in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 12. It says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. What we see in the Bible is racism is confronted over and over and over again with the same message that in Christ we are all equalized. There is no superior race, there is no inferior race, that Jesus Christ has equaled the playing field of all races and that anyone who is in Christ is richly blessed that call on him. I love that. And I think purposely, if you think about it, God's kingdom is so diverse because it really shows off the image of God better. That The tapestry of God's image is multicolored. I mean, we are all created in the image of God, but yet we look so different from one another. And I just think that is God showing off that there's beauty in diversity. But here's what I think is happening, what our culture is experiencing these last couple of weeks, is there is a super cell storm that we are facing that is causing major situations within our culture. A supercell storm, if you've never lived back east like I have, I, I lived a couple of my teenage years in the beautiful state of Oklahoma. Let's give a shout out for all you Oklahomans that are listening. But I remember vividly as a teenager having these weird storms that would just pop up, it seems like out of nowhere. And I mean, it would get serious quick. There would be a tornado warning. You would be running for cover. And it all happened. It all had to do with this supercell thing that would happen where the, the warm air from the southern hemisphere would mix with the, the cool air from the northern hemisphere and they would collide together. And a lot of the Midwestern states like Oklahoma and Kansas, Texas, and, and all of those kinds of uh, states in the Midwest can experience these tornadoes and these supercell storms. And what I believe we're facing right now is a supercell storm in our culture. You have this systemic issue of racism that's real, and you have the systemic issue of division, which is real. And these two storm fronts, these two issues, these systemic problems that are both real in our culture are colliding and converging on one another, creating this super big issue that now everybody is talking about. Now everybody is being woke about. And so I want to speak directly into the subject of division because it goes hand in hand with this big idea that God put on my heart several months ago about us versus them. I have seen more divisive talk in our culture in the last five years than I've seen in my entire lifetime. I mean, you've got political divisions. You, you've got... Uh, economical divisions. I, I mean, we even have divisions uh, on how 
we view sports. Is LeBron the GOAT or is Michael Jordan the GOAT? I don't know. I say it's Michael Jordan, personally. But, you know, people aren't just divided. They're so opinionated on how they see the world. Anybody that doesn't see the world the same way as them is now being labeled the enemy or the them. And so you have this catastrophic issue where everybody is grouping and taking a side. And if you are not in the group that they're in, you are now being labeled as the enemy and you are being pushed away. And the divide is growing, growing, growing. And I even see it invading the church, even with this coronavirus. I have seen such a spectrum of viewpoints on the coronavirus. I've seen people on one side, in the church, mind you, that they are frustrated and upset at anybody that would dare leave their house for whatever reason outside of going to the grocery store. They're going on social media. They're shaming everybody. How dare you leave your house? I can't believe that. You better wear a mask. And then I have people in the church that are on the opposite end of the spectrum that think it's all a sham, it's all a conspiracy, and I have 40 videos every week in my inbox to, to show you how there are people on the opposite side. I would say, honestly, that the church is divided almost in half on so many different things. And what I want to discuss is that there is no room in the kingdom of God for division. Absolutely none. That God is not wanting any of us to be divided on anything. He wants to come together for the purpose of his son and his kingdom. I will go as far as to say the author of division is the devil himself. And spiritual warfare is real in all of our lives. It doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should in the church. But I, I want to expose the devil right now possibly moving in your life. He doesn't run a lot of plays, but he does run the plays that he has very, very well. And here are the three plays I see him playing all the time within Christians' lives. He plays discouragement, he plays distraction, and he plays division. And, and we can all identify with a moment, even probably in the last week, where one of those three plays have hit us square in the face and have maybe tried to derail us in our faith and get us off of some assignment that God wants us to do. Let me tell you, the devil is real and he's out to destroy your life, your family's life, and even the life of our nation. And this divisiveness that he has in the midst of our culture is so deep and so ugly that in my opinion, we're only a couple of decisions away from seeing civil war. And you say, oh, pastor, come on. You're being extreme about how you're looking at this. And, and honestly, can you think of a time in our history outside of the original civil war where be, we've been divided as much as we're divided right now as a nation? But here's the message today. And here's the message of the series that God is greater than division and that God has a solution for the division that the devil has sent to us to try to destroy us. I call it God's three-point shot. And he brings in three things to completely diffuse and disarm 
this weapon of division that wants to destroy us. It's harmony, hospitality, and humility. Write those down. It's harmony, hospitality, and humility. And this morning, I, I want to talk about this big idea of harmony. And next week, we'll talk about hospitality. And the week after that, we'll talk about humility. And harmony is such a key component to bring unity and destroy division. And I, I love the word by itself, and, and we'll get more into that in a moment. But I want to demonstrate it by showing you a picture. And I know if you're listening uh, to our audio version of our message that you're not seeing this picture. But you can Google this later, and you can see it. But I'm going to put this, this picture, and I want you to, to tell me what you see. Okay, are you ready? All right, there's the picture. Now, how many of you are looking at that picture see a duck? All right, put your hands down. How many of you, when you're looking at this picture, see a rabbit? Isn't that interesting? So more than likely, half of you, when you first saw this picture, you saw a duck. And the other half of you, when you saw this picture, you saw a rabbit. And here's the point I'm trying to make with this picture. There's more than one way to see a situation. Take a moment right now and try to see the situation the way maybe the other person sees it. Because here's what I know about the human race is that there are a lot of differences in our lives. And we are so bad at trying to define one another by our differences instead of focusing on the things that we have in common, the similarities that we have with one another. I'm, re I'm reminded of uh, the first time I went to spend the night at a buddy's house when I was really little. And I went over to this friend's house and you know, I was so excited to have my little backpack and little sleeping bag and, and uh, his mom and dad made us dinner. And I remember after dinner, they did something I've never seen in my life. They served dessert right after dinner. I was so blown away. I even pushed back on it. I said, we're not supposed to eat dessert yet. We're supposed to wait an hour. And I remember the mom said, not at our house. We eat dessert right after dinner. And it was a philosophical moment in my young life to realize that not every family is like my family. Not everyone does life exactly like I do life. And of course, you know, here 40 plus years later, I have seen firsthand all kinds of differences that my life has versus other people's lives. Uh, political differences, musical differences, cultural differences, experiential differences, uh, even theological differences uh, that we have within the church. Economical differences, taste differences. Some people like seafood, other people can't stand seafood. But here's the question. Is it possible to have differences but still experience unity? And the Apostle Paul seems to think so. This is what he writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, dear, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I love that scripture. We need to drill down deep on this because if we can't do this with one another in the church, 
with God in our lives, how do we expect the world, how do we expect our nation to be able to do this without God? Think about how Jesus set up the church to begin with. Think about this. He took 12 individuals from completely different walks of life, and he puts them together, and he uses these 12 people to change the world. And I encourage you to take some time and do some character studies of Jesus' original disciples, but just to kind of summarize the, the big differences here, there were fishermen. These were the original blue-collar workers of Jesus' era. Uh, they were the ones up at sunrise and worked hard under the sun and were completely exhausted by the end of the day because, you know, they worked hard. Their hands were probably full of calluses and they were probably really dirty and smelly and just good-hearted, hard-working, blue-collar guys. Then you had more of the business guys, more of the, you know, the, the guys that worked the office, the, the white-collar workers, the, the ones that put a suit on before they uh, went to work. And, you know, there were uh, guys that, uh, you know, were professional religious people in the group, and uh, they didn't have to lift any heavy objects at all uh, for their job. Then you had these guys called zealots. These were the original protesters of Jesus's era. They despised the Roman occupation and they did whatever they felt necessary to try to push back this occupation. And so they were always up to shenanigans and, and doing things that would try to uh, dethrone uh, the Roman occupation. And then Jesus even brought in a tax collector. And these were the ones that were really despised by everybody within the Jewish culture because they were looked at as traitors, they were looked at as sellouts, that they had given themselves, given themselves over to the Roman occupation and were, were being used as pawns, but then they were taking advantage of the people and charging them more uh, than what they uh, should have been charging them. So they were looked at as crooks and thieves, and, and rightly so. But with all that, Jesus brings them all together. I call them the original Motley crew. You know, all of these guys from different backgrounds that had all of these differences. And Jesus said, with you guys, I'm going to build my church. This is the, the crew that I'm going to use to change the world. And then Jesus tells them something I thought was so awesome. In John chapter 13, he says, this is what's going to happen. The world is going to know that you guys belong to me by how you love one another. So Jesus tells these guys that despite your differences, the world's going to know that God is real and that I've been sent by God and that you follow me by how you guys love one another really, really well. It just tells me the gospel celebrates diversity. When we're able to come together, we get to put the glory of God fully on display. One of the coolest sounds I believe that you can hear is a barbershop quartet. And my family and I, we like to uh, frequently visit Disneyland. And as you walk down Main Street, very often you'll hear these guys, they have them standing in different places on Main Street, and they'll just bust out a song. And what's so beautiful about a quartet is if you listen to each individual voice, 
they're singing differently from one another. They have a different tone from one another. So if you were to hear just one of the quartets singing by themselves, it might sound a little weird. But then when they get together with the other guys in the quartet, they make this amazing, beautiful song that will stop you dead in your tracks from going to the next you know, ride at Disneyland, and you'll just want to stop and listen to these guys. If you think about this, this is what God is doing through the diversity. This is what God is building through our differences. We all have a melody. We all have a tone. But when we come together, we are able to create this beautiful song that will stop people in their tracks and say, I want to listen to what this song is all about. This is a beautiful picture of the heaven to come for us. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 kind of takes this snapshot for us of what heaven is going to be like. It says, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne. This is the scene in heaven. People from every nation, from every culture, in different languages. And I don't know, we're going we're gonna to be singing together. I don't know, a, a friend of mine uh, that was uh, pastoring with me in Vegas, he led our Spanish ministry, Max, and uh, we were talking about this one day, and he says, brother, when we get to heaven, uh, we're all going to be singing our heavenly language, and I just want you to know right now that God's heavenly language is Spanish. <laughs> and I love Spanish, so I, I tend to agree with him on that. But regardless, nevertheless, we're going to be in complete harmony harmonizing together and when we can do that on earth we're able to give the world a snapshot of the intentions of what God wants to do for eternity now one of the chief metaphors that the new testament uses is for the church that is is the body and so the apostle paul and he's, and he's trying to discuss what the church is like he uses like the human body and he starts talking about how every part of our body has a has a purpose, has a uh, you know has a, uh, a reason for existence, and so he starts talking about you know the hand does this, the leg does that, the ear does this, and, and he's using this to build a metaphor to say when the church functions together, it's like a body. So in order for the church to function the way God desires it to function, we've got to come together because a hand by itself won't be able to accomplish anything. A leg by itself won't be able to accomplish anything. An ear by itself won't be able to accomplish anything. They need to come together. When they come together, they're able to move the kingdom forward. The body is able to move forward. We can't do it individually. This is why the church is not an individual sport. Christianity is a team sport, and the church becomes the body of Christ. And I feel sorry for God sometimes because we're the only body he has. And when we are completely divided, we become like a dysfunctional body. And some of us know people that have had illnesses or diseases where they've lost usage of some of their body parts. And it's a sad situation to, to see, and, and especially for the person that, that has these ailments. And it's, it's frustrating because they know that this is how the body's supposed to work, but the body's not cooperating with them. I think that's how God feels sometimes with us, his church. 
He wants us coming together. He wants us working together so that he can accomplish great and marvelous things in this world. But sometimes because we go rogue and we get divided and we don't work together, he has a dysfunctional body that I'm sure he gets frustrated with. The vision that God has for his church is that we lay aside our differences and we learn our tone and we use that tone to come together to sing an amazing song that will stop people dead in their tracks and say, I want to hear more about what you have to say. This was the prayer that Jesus prayed. We're, we're able to, to listen in on this prayer that Jesus prays to his heavenly father, right? In John chapter 17, verse 20, it says, and I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be all one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And then in Romans, Paul writes this in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 15. He says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. God's intention is for us to lay aside the differences, come together, harmonize our lives in such a way that we have one voice. Because when we do this, we're able to give glory to God. And glory is simply putting God on display for the world, of showing God off in his true essence of who he is. That is putting the glory of God on display. And when we work together, we're bringing glory to God. And so God wants us living in such a way with one another that the world will look at our lives and say, I want more of that. There, there's a scene uh, of a movie, a Christmas movie called Christmas with the Cranks and Tim Allen, who, who plays the main character, you know, his family's inside. They're having this festive party and everyone's having a good time. And he has this moment where he's just looking inside the house and, and just capturing the joy and the beauty of friends and family coming together in celebration. And I'm thinking that that is such a picture of what's happening with the world. See, we as a church, it's like we're inside the house and the world is outside the house looking in the window. And my question is, when the world is looking in the window of the church, what are they seeing right now? Are they seeing a group of people that are full of differences but have learned to harmonize themselves under the purpose and power of Jesus? And it's so beautiful that they want to leave the outside and come on the inside. Because the prayer that Jesus prays is, God, I want you to have a church that are so one with one another that the world will leave their position on the outside and want to come and be on the inside. And that's my prayer as a pastor. And that is the kind of church we want to build in the Conejo Valley. We want to build such a, a, a beautiful, united church 
full of love, full of joy, full of diversity, that everybody in the world will want to stop in their tracks and hear the beautiful song coming from Atmosphere Church. So here's the question, how do we do this? In such a, a divisive time where we're defining people by their differences more than our similarities. How, how do we harmonize our lives? And I want to give you the three action steps that I believe we find in the Bible that will help us do this. So write these down if you're taking notes. Here's the first one, receive heaven's blood transfusion. It's a medical term. Some of you have never had a blood transfusion, but a blood transfusion, as, as I have learned firsthand by walking one of my sisters through a very horrific health issue that she battled for years and years in her life. I had to often take her to the doctor myself along with my other siblings and my parents. And she would get these blood transfusions because her body lacked certain things inside of it. And so the blood transfusion would give her body what it needed through the blood so that she could be healthy again. And so what we recognize as followers of Jesus is that Jesus came to this earth and he was crucified on a cross and he bled and he poured out his blood so that we could have his blood. So he, in his bleeding, would give, our, give his blood for our blood. There was a transaction, a transfusion, where he gave us something that we didn't have before we received Christ into our own lives. Ephesians says it this way in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations, and he made peace between Jews and Gentiles. There it is again, like I talked about earlier, by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and the peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. When we receive the blood of Christ, we have received something we didn't have before. We received the DNA of God implanted inside of us through the Spirit of God. And this is something we all need. And here's the great news about the blood of Jesus. It is the great human equalizer. Man, woman, Jew, Gentile, black, brown, white. The blood of Jesus forgives and restores us all under one body. Galatians 3 verse 28 says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the great human equalizer. Here's the second action step, is once you receive this blood transfusion, you need to saturate yourself in the Spirit of God that we just talked about. We read this last week at Pentecost that when the Holy Spirit descended upon the people, upon the original 120 that were gathered in that upper room, that when the Holy Spirit descended on them, it was a game changer. There was a shift that took place with all of them. They went from 
being cowardly to becoming courageous. They went from being weak to be full of power. And so as you keep reading Acts chapter 2, where Pentecost takes place, you'll come to this section at the very end of the chapter that I think is so good for us to circle and talk about when we talk about this idea of being able to harmonize our lives and, and come together and to unite. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, verse 43. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Check that out. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what was happening? They were being saturated by the Spirit of God day by day. They were putting themselves in positions where they were not just being filled with the Spirit. They were learning to live in step with the Spirit of God. And when they did that, unity was the natural side benefit of just being filled with the Spirit. It's not hard to get along with people when God is completely leading your life. When His Spirit, which is peace, is completely saturating your soul, it is going to be so much easier to lay aside the things that divide us and come together and be one and, and to live as one and to have all things in common. And just like the blood of Jesus is the great human equalizer, I believe the spirit of Jesus is the great human unifier. Unity is not something we can create on our own. True unity is seen when the Holy Spirit has complete influence over our lives. And when the Spirit of God shows up, we're on equal playing field. There's no haves and have-nots. It doesn't, it, none of that matters. All of the differences are obliterated when the Spirit of God is moving and active in our lives. But the key is to live in step with the Spirit. Some of you, you've received the Holy Spirit but you're not living day by day, saturating your soul in the Spirit. How do you do that? Through worship, through fellowship with other believers, through reading the Word on a daily basis, getting into devotions, by, by having time of prayer and meditation on the things of God. And the more that you're putting yourself in these positions, the more the Spirit of God is saturating your soul and the easier it is for you to be unified with the rest of the church and the body of Christ. Here's the third action step, and this is gonna sound really weird, but it's simply dress for success. So once you've received your blood transfusion, once you've saturated your life with the Holy Spirit, then comes your opportunity to move out on what God has completely soaked in. Colossians chapter 3 says it this way. It says, in this new life, verse 11, 
It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. There it is again, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, here it is, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This, my friends, is our anchor passage for how to work through our differences and conflicts with other humans. Notice here, it says, you have to choose what you wear. And we get that because every day when we wake up, we have a decision to make. What am I going to wear today? So you go in your closet, you spend some time, you pick out your outfit, and you take some time and you put it on. Some of you, takes you a couple outfits before you settle on what you're going to wear. But the point is, you make a choice before you leave your house what you're going to wear. And so what Paul is telling us in the book of Colossians is in the same capacity that you choose your physical clothing, you have to choose the attitude that you're going to wear throughout the day. So as Jesus has given you your heavenly DNA through the blood transfusion, now that you are living in step with the Holy Spirit, you have to conscientiously, intentionally choose the attitude that you're going to live in so that you could be that person of unity that promotes unity, walks in unity, and has unity everywhere that you go. So with that in mind, what part of that passage in Colossians is convicting? I know for me, that forgiveness part, that's huge. For some of you, maybe it's that kindness part. Others of you, maybe it's that patience part. But here's what we need to understand is that Paul saying this is on us. That God's going to give us everything that we need to make it easier for us to choose this kind of attitude and to choose to live this kind of life. But at the end of the day, it's up to us to choose to live this way. And we have to be intentional to be able to live this way. Ephesians chapter 4, the Passion Translation reads it this way in verse 2 and 3. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. <laughs> I, I love that part, especially toward those who try your patience. There are people that God will put in your life that are going to try your patience. Some of you, unfortunately, are married to that person. But hey, God is going to use that person and the differences that they have to actually make you a better follower of Jesus. That's why a lot of times people marry the opposite of who they are. A person that has a lot of differences because God is using the differences to actually refine you to make you a better person. So don't despise people's differences. Actually celebrate those differences because God's going to use those to actually improve your life 
and make you the person that he's called you to be. Sometimes, hey, let's be honest, we need a little sandpaper in our life to smooth out those rough edges. And believe me, even your pastor has some smoothing out to do in his life. I'll just go on record and admit that. So my work is not done. God's still uh, smoothing me out, and he uses people very often to do it. But here's the, here's the point. Out of all the things that we do, out of all the, the clothing that we choose to wear with our attitude, what we're hearing through the Bible is choose love. Above everything else we put on, put on love. And here it says, let it be generous love. I call this the extra scoop of love, right? It's just not, not just a regular scoop here. We're, we're given an extra scoop of love because there are people in this world that desperately need to know about the love of God. And the only way they are going to know about the love of God is through how we love them. And by us loving them well with that extra scoop of love, with that generous love, they are going to be able to discover the love that God has for them through the way that we have love for them. See, there are probably moments in your life that people just irritate you and they're so different than you and you just want to get on Facebook and rant and tell people how wrong their opinion is and just want to put them on blast. But here's the thing. There's the ability to win the argument and lose the person. And I've seen that one too many times. If you're more focused on being right over being loving, you've missed the point. The win isn't in winning the argument, but rather loving the person. And studies have told us over and over again that you have a 0.00001% chance of convincing somebody in a debate to switch sides and see things the way you see them. So why are we wasting all this time? trying to fuel these differences instead of embracing maybe that person's opinion and loving them through that and then possibly through our love they are going to be able to see their own picture a little bit differently through the lens of love that you're giving them. I, I will just tell you in this season the thing that we can do that will actually allow us to put on love more than anything is listening to what other people have to say. Instead of just tuning them out and dismissing what they have to say, here's how I, I want to just kind of throw this out there. Here's the three things that we need to do in this directive, this action step, is listen and then learn and then love. Listen, learn, and love. If we can do this, church, we're going to see unity like we've never seen it before. I end with this scripture in Romans 14, verse 19. It says, so then... Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. This is what we need to aim for. Because as the world looks in, as our nation looks in, the, the windows of the church looking for hope, is there the possibility that we could ever lay aside our differences and be able to coexist and live together in, in such a unified way if they look in the window and we cannot even do this as a church, there's no hope for them. My friends, this is what we need to aim for. And this is what Jesus has made possible. But it's up to us in order to be able to carry that out. 
Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.